Podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding Most of you know that our uh, sister had a stroke several months back and we just rejoice at such recovery. One of our own, Emily Bates, has been a part of that recovery process, a speech therapist. And you know the scriptures say, we don't generally clap in terms of performance here, but the scriptures say, clap your hands in thanksgiving and praise to God. Perhaps that would be appropriate to say, thank God. For- <laughs> Praise God for his grace and our our sisters among us in this way. All right. uh, Let us uh, turn now to Hebrews chapter 13. We come to uh, verses 20 and 21. This is the great, one of the great benedictions of scripture and full of rich Blessing and grace for us. Now, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for this great statement, this great uh, promise to us of blessing. And, Lord, we, we honor you that you would be so generous to us to pledge yourself to us so completely and gloriously. Lord, we honor you that you are so kind to your people. And Lord, may we begin this morning uh, as we delve into this text to grow in that grace and to welcome that grace and to believe and trust in that grace. Oh, Lord, bless us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, I heard a a great story uh, this week about Reagan Allen. Some of you know that no Reagan might know that this is going to be a good story. Um, But Reagan really wants his mother to have a baby. Okay, so he's interested in the whole process, of course. You know, where where do babies come from? How do you get a baby? Which led to, of course, his realizing that babies are in tummies and that they come out. Okay, so he got that much. So, in this supercharged atmosphere of baby desire on the part of Reagan, his housekeeper found out his interest, and she happened to be pregnant herself. 
or as my father-in-law likes to say, with child only. Um, And so uh, she came over to Reagan one day at the house and she said, Reagan, I have a baby in my tummy. To which Reagan responded, you have one in your legs, too. (laughs) I'm a full 30 pounds overweight right now, and I think if Reagan could see me in a T-shirt, he would think I'm having a baby. I've got a baby in me as well. Um, Now, Reagan is thinking this way because he is looking for a baby. That would be... A blessing to him. That would be his happiness, wouldn't it? To have this baby. And so everything is seeking, everything he does is, in a sense is seeking after that. And I think there's a real wonderful lesson for us in spiritual terms. We are always to be looking for the real blessing of God that is to be ours in every portion of his word. Do you think of his word in those terms? Do you think of his term, in his, of his word as the opportunity for you to enrich your life? And you believe it so much that you give yourself eagerly to it, that you look every time you open it up and expect for God to deal with you in that way. This benediction here is... In itself, it has so much blessing for the people of God. But as William Lane has pointed out, including this benediction shows that the writer realized that this whole letter, this whole homily, kind of a sermon that he's preaching here, has written, that this whole homily is going to be read to a congregation. He realized that. And so, of course, he included in this the the benediction at the end. But notice what he says. It reminds the congregation that God is giving himself and his blessing in the word as it is presented and applied to the situation of the audience. In other words, this benediction is to be a covering, in a sense, over the whole of this word or any of his word to say, this is what God is about in his word to you. To bring, to give himself to you freely in his word and to give all of the blessings of salvation to you in his word. And so... All of the word, in a sense, is his benediction upon you. And can you imagine ignoring God's benediction? Can you imagine that you're making thirty-five, dollars $40,000 a year and you've got several kids and you're just struggling to make ends meet and you're totally ignoring a million-dollar fund that's producing $60,000 more a year? And you just ignore it. And you scrape by and get into trouble and the debt and credit and all this because you're ignoring this $60,000 that is yours. Benediction means to speak good into and upon. And it's not a, a probability. It's not a possibility. It's not just a probability. It is a certainty. This is pronounced upon you. When he says, may the God of peace do these things, he's not saying, I hope that he will. No, for those who believe this is your pronouncement, this is the announcement of blessing to you. And so all of 
scripture is to unveil God, especially the Lord Jesus. And I love what Marcus Bart wrote. Exegesis, that is the unlocking or the explanation of the word, is the endeavor to help people in need by telling them what the Bible says of their shepherd Jesus. Now, according to some people on TV, this apparently is not what they're about to explain to you and to uncover the meaning of Jesus as your shepherd. But to help people in need by telling them what the Bible says of their shepherd, Jesus Christ. And of course, shepherd comprehends everything that he is. He's our warrior and protector, our ruler, our rescuer, our caretaker, the one that feeds and nourishes us, the one that brings us to heaven. It catches everything that he is as the good shepherd. And so speaking of need and speaking of the word, speaking blessing into your life, what are you and I most painfully aware of in our lives? It is probably, if you're anything like me, all the ways in which I still do not do the will of God. All the ways that in, in which I still don't please him in my thoughts or my desires or my purposes, my feelings, my words, my actions, all the many ways that I still don't do his will and don't please him. Here is the most glorious blessing pronounced upon you. It's not necessarily a blessing that everything's going to turn out good in your life and you're going to be prosperous and you're going to rise in your job to be the one who owns the company at one day and all those kinds of things that are said from pulpits around. It is a pronouncement of blessing in this regard. May this God, notice verse 21, equip you with everything good to do his will. And the parallel, it's like a double barrel, the same thing said again, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. There is God's benediction on your life. That he will enable you to do his will, that he will work in you that which is pleasing to him. Now, you may think, you may question, how could I ever be pleasing to God? This is God doing the work in you that will be pleasing to him. God from beginning to end. And that's the great blessing that is pronounced here at the end of this glorious uh, letter or book, homily, whatever you want to call it. Now, let me first give a little bit of an outline of what. The feel of this passage. And then we're going to look at the blessing itself, the equipping and just a little bit of what God of peace and the resurrection means. Next week, we're going to talk about this phrase because we're going to talk about sola, uh, the, the solas beginning next week, which is a reformation term for Christ alone and faith alone and uh, grace alone. And we're going to talk about Christ alone next week. And we'll talk about what's said of Jesus here in this passage, uh, the shepherd of the sheep and the blood of the eternal covenant. So, but we, we want to first jump into verse 21. But let me give you this little outline. You know, the word peace is the, the background for this is the Hebrew word shalom, which means wholeness to put things back together again. And so if you get the feel of this passage, it's 
It goes like this. The God of Shalom, the God who puts things back together, who has already put things together through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you see, the one who is making all things new and has already begun that process through the resurrection of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus means everything will finally be restored in the last day. The resurrection has begun, the renewal of all things. May the God of putting things together, who has already begun in the resurrection, now put you together. Get the feel of that? The God of Shalom, who has brought Shalom through the resurrection of Jesus, may He bring Shalom into your life. May He put you back together like you're supposed to be. May He make you whole. Glorious passage that speaks of the God of Shalom. You get a feel for that idea of God of peace. Listen to this statement in Romans 16:20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Now, you might think that he would say the warrior God, you know, or the mighty sovereign God. But notice what he picks. The God of peace will crush Satan. Why? Because Satan is the one who destroys peace. Satan is the one who has destroyed our lives and, 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 and created this misery as we've given ourselves over to his will and rebellion against God. And so to create wholeness and peace, the God of peace will soon crush Satan in order to bring restoration and shalom and victory. And so as uh, Philip Hughes on this passage says, the new man in Christ is a man restored to the harmonious integrity of his humanity. The new creation is the recreation. It's the reintegration of human beings in themselves and with one another. And it's interesting right at the outset to make us whole. What does it mean? It means that we begin to conform to his will. You want to be a whole individual? You begin, you begin to conform to the will of God. That's the proper function of every human being. What every human being is made for. Your, your soul, in a sense, thirsts to live under the will of God and to fulfill that will in your life. And nothing else will satisfy you. There will be no other evidence that you're being put back together again as a true, working, uh, satisfied, fulfilled human being than that you begin to do his will. That's what shalom looks like in a human being. They begin to want to please their father. Now, this verse 21 talks about doing his will. But it's very obvious that the doing of the will is not just us, right? That it's the doing of God in us that we might do his will. He must equip us with all the resources so that we can do his will. And the same, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. So you could say that each deed is at once the deed of man and the deed of God. That the work of God is alone what makes our work possible. 
And so the blessing is that God is so actively involved in our lives so as to create in us a whole different lifestyle. In the New Covenant in Ezekiel, he says that I will cause you to walk in my ways. I will cause you to walk in my ways. And this word, verse 21, uh, equip you with everything good. This is used in Matthew 4.21 of the mending of nets. It's used in Galatians 6.1 when he says, speaks about restoring a brother to fellowship. It's used in 1 Corinthians 1.10 when he says, Let there be no divisions, but be complete and perfectly joined and united. So there's that idea of supplying that which is defective or deficient within us individually or as an assembly. For him to bring about what is not there. To bring about in, in our inner lives all that is necessary, all the resources of faith and repentance and joy and zeal that can cause us to do his will. In the New English Bible says this, to make you perfect in all goodness. So it's not just the, the outward doing, but all of the goodness of the Holy Spirit working in our lives for that ultimate purpose that we will fulfill his will. And notice he says everything good. All that is needed, nothing left out. One translation, all you need for doing his will. Every resource, every supply, truckloads of what you need, no limit to what you need to do his will. And then this is encouraging as he uses this second phrase to underscore the working of God. God, who has this careful eye for beauty and holiness, he's the one molding and crafting in us that which pleases him. He's the project manager and he has the final say so. And along those lines, brothers and sisters, we must be careful not to despair over our sin, over the how fixed our sin seems to be in us, how fixed our habits seem to be, how fixed our desires seem to be, how entrapped we seem to be. Because God, the, the, the God of peace, the God of creation is putting the very things in your life that are pleasing to him. It is emphatically his work. And, of course, then it becomes our work as well. But you must see that God has taken this upon himself. He does not leave you on that side of the river and say, swim over to me. He does everything necessary. And this, this doing his will... If you back up to chapter 10, is the very way of genuine Christ likeness. Notice in chapter 10, verse 5. As he talks about the fact that goats and bulls could not ever take away sin. He underscores why. Because bulls and goats have no morality. They have no capacity to obey God. And so in verse 5 of chapter 10, he says, Consequently, when Christ, or when Messiah, came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you've not desired, but a body you've prepared for me, 
That's the same word as equip in our passage. A body you prepared for me in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I've come to do your will, O God. And notice in verse 10, by that will, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now, we touched on this in a a previous study, but through his doing the father's will perfectly, even to the death on the cross, he dedicated himself to God completely. And in so doing, he says, he dedicates us to God. We belong to God in that unique way. And now we have been prepared and dedicated so that we now can do his will. And he is actively working in us to complete that will. So as he dedicates himself, uh, dedicates us to God, we imitate him and we say the same thing to the Lord. We have come to do your will. Lord, you who have redeemed us and cleansed us, you who have brought us into the fellowship of the Father, you have made the Father embrace us and draw us to himself. Lord, we now come to do your will in Christ, knowing that you are working in us that which is pleasing in your sight. And now, you, if you've not been here, this is you know, maybe new, but for those who've been here, You know how this whole passage began in chapter 12, verse 28, as he says to uh, make offer to God an acceptable worship, a pleasing worship that we're to give up ourselves in a pleasing way to God. Then he speaks about the radical love that we're to have one another. So there's the exhortation. Present yourself as a pleasing sacrifice to God. That is, give yourself away in love to one another. Verse 16 is a further motivation. These sacrifices of love and doing good are pleasing to God. So you have the exhortation, give yourself up in love. Here's the motivation. Giving yourself up in love is pleasing to God. And here's a final culmination and encouragement. And guess what? He is working in you that you will do these things that are pleasing to him. How encouraging is that? He doesn't just say, dedicate yourself and these are pleasing to me. I will work in your life. And it means constantly, not every once in a while. This is the whole shape and contour of your life. God at work in you so that you may be pleasing to him. So that you may do his will. And notice that this union of divine will and human will is what brings us to, again, shalom and and harmony. We have no will outside of God's will and, and we need to conform in every way to his will. And notice he says, through Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the mediator who's brought us to God and he's the mediator who brings God to us in his fullness. There is no limit to what God will do in our lives and what he's committed to do in the new covenant. This is the blessing pronounced upon you. And may I encourage you with just a few words at the end. He says, the God of peace equip you. The God of shalom, the God of wholeness. This is to say the God who makes you whole, the God who renovates you, the God who reconstructs you and reassembles you, reconstitutes you. 
This God, may he equip you with everything good. You see, the name is to encourage you to believe it. And it's to encourage you and me to pray in that way to him. Because we have had a great and terrible, a tragic fall and we're broken to pieces. And he does what nobody could do. He puts us back together again. He puts us back together again because he's the God of Shalom. And let me ask you this question. What is this name for? Who is this? Who is this name given for? It's given for you, you see. It's given as a covenant name. It's given as a re- to describe his relationship to you, to describe what he is for you, what he will do for you. He's your God of peace, you know. And the only reason he calls himself the God of peace is to encourage you. That's who I am for you. That's what I will do for you. I will bring wholeness into your life. And that's not some attachment to what he really is inside. That's what he really is. There is no other God than the God of wholeness. There is no other God to pray to than the God of wholeness. <clears throat> and maybe for some of us, it would be good to use that appellation or that name as you address him. Oh, God of peace. I've been dealing with anger. Oh, God of wholeness, you promised you would equip me to be pleasing in your sight, to do your will. And you're not a God who is quick to anger. You're a God who is slow to anger. Oh, Lord, give me your spirit who is slow to anger that I may be slow. And Lord, I believe that I'm not just praying up a wall somewhere, barking up a tree. I believe you'll do it because you are the God of wholeness. You are the God of peace. You will restore me this brokenness that I have. How about praying through each of your sins this week to the God of peace? And how about praying and expecting him to have this benediction in your life? Imagine if that's your expectation versus no expectation. Not believing in the benediction of God, which is to say that we really don't believe in the work of Christ on our behalf. We really don't believe there is a covenant that God has bound himself to do us good. That Jesus really has not done much on the cross rather than to say Jesus has done so much there is nothing but Blessing to come to me specifically that I will more and more conform to the will of God. And then, finally, the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. He hasn't mentioned the resurrection yet in this whole book. Now, he assumes it because he talks about the exaltation of Christ to the right hand of God. That's assuming, of course, the resurrection. But he hasn't mentioned resurrection specifically until now. And it seems to jump out, therefore, this last breath of, of homily that he mentions the resurrection. It, it, it underscores its special significance so that if you need any proof that he is the God of wholeness, he's raised from the dead, even the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there any limit to his ability to resuscitate and reinvigorate your life? No, he's the one who raised Christ from the dead. See, that's the feel. 
The God of wholeness, whose power is such that this one who was dead is now exalted to the right hand of God. Are there any boundaries to refurbish us and replenish us? He's the one who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. And so, yes, he can and will make you whole. Yes, he can repair you. He can recondition you and resupply you with all you need. Before he takes hold of us, we're almost like one of those empty grocery stores you've seen in a war-torn country whose lines of commerce have been destroyed, a, a country ravaged by runaway inflation. But under his hand, in his hand, he resupplies you and gives you new resources and brings stability to your heart. He restocks your shelves. Okay. Well, when you're restocked by God, it is glorious. The verse that we quote a lot from John, which has resurrection overtones, he who believes in me from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So in the former situation in which the lake waters were dangerously and hopelessly low with no end in sight of the drought, the rains have come in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The rains have come to you. This is a pronouncement of God's fruitfulness in your life. He will bear fruit in your life. It's interesting because this <clears throat> doxology is taken in part from Isaiah where it talks about Moses and possibly Aaron, maybe the plural, but the shepherd of the sheep or shepherds of the sheep. That brought them out of the land. And so there's the old covenant. Moses bringing out. And in fact this word is an unusual word for resurrection. He is led out of the realm of the dead. Is the feel of it. Just like uh, he led Moses and Aaron. As the shepherds of the sheep. Out of the land. He leads the shepherd of the sheep. The Lord Jesus. Out of the realm of the dead. Forever. It's gone. And so it demonstrates that the peace by sovereign authority was brought into a state of life. And it's a complete deliverance from that stage of death and everything associated with that death. And that's why that life must and will be applied to your, your life. You're a part of this resurrection. You're people of the resurrection. You belong to the shepherd of the resurrection. And he is raised as a shepherd to bring that life continually into your life. It is the revelation of the victory over all evil. Including the evil that is in your life. Praise God that he pronounces that benediction. And. The very fact that he says the one who was dead, because many times don't you feel like my case is hopeless. I feel dead to his will. I feel dead in my emotions. I feel dead in my emotions, perhaps in my marriage. I feel dead in my emotions toward the loss. I feel dead and I feel like I need to be raised from the dead. This is the God of wholeness. Who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. And he is the one who equips you with everything good that you may do his will. And so I urge you 
Make this your prayer this week. That's one simple application. Make this your prayer with your specific sins. And if you don't know the Lord Jesus, there's a phrase, a terrible phrase in the Old Testament. Speaking of those who continually do not put themselves in the hands of God. Who refuse to be with the people of God. Who refuse basically to participate, to, uh, to give themselves to the will of Christ and all of that will. To trust Him to save them. He says, your shepherd will be death. Think of the awful difference. A shepherd who has laid down his life for you and dedicated the whole of his life for your good. He's your shepherd and caretaker and protector and warrior and king. Or, death will be your shepherd. Death will be your shepherd. I urge you, come to this Lord Jesus. Put your life into His hands. Let Him get hold of you. Let us pray. Oh Lord, if there are any who have not trusted Christ here this morning, may they even now say, Lord Jesus, You are the one who has died in the place of sinners, you are the one who has borne the punishment of God for the sake of sinners. Oh Lord, I trust you that you will take away my sin, that through you I will be forgiven, through you I will be accepted by God, and through you God will get His hands upon me and begin to form me and shape me And give me true peace. Make me whole again. And conform me to the glorious will of God. The glorious love of God. O Lord, we who have trusted you, acknowledge in how many ways we do not expect you to bless us. We do not expect you to change us. We do not pray vigorously with full faith believing this benediction and receiving this benediction as You've given it to us. Bless us, Lord, Your people, that this benediction will manifest itself in us. Know, Lord, that we will go forth with a new joy and a new power and a new obedience because of Your work in our lives. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Fears away, won't you chase my fears away?